Welcome to Chowder and Grits. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. And Tim, it is bowl season, baby. What's going on? Yes. Not a lot. You know, I've uh, been prepping for this uh, episode. I'm pretty excited about it. I got to tell you, bowl season is one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, you know, when you get hot and heavy in some of these matchups you weren't expecting, it seems like every time you come home from work for two straight weeks, you have a uh, at least a playoff atmosphere in a bowl game that night. Um, it's awesome, man. One of my favorite times. Excited about that. Uh, getting over the stomach bug. So I'm back on the mend. Um, you know, but podcasters are warriors, man. Just get up, brush yourself off and get back to it. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe even come back pot, podcaster of the week. Um, <laughs> going out to you. but yeah, the yeah. amount of, uh, the amount of preview work I put into this, I feel like, I feel like I would have made Peyton Manning proud. <laughs> so no kidding. Yeah, I, right. I know you were telling me what you had going on, and I was super impressed with the volume you've turned out for this one. Yeah, so we've got some interesting matchups, and I i don't know about you, but I did my best not to look at anybody's picks until after yes. I had done my analysis, because I did not want to be uh, swayed one way or the other. And what I also did was I, I wasn't keeping track. I was literally going game by game, and I was picking who I felt would win. Sometimes when I'll do it just on like a bowl pick them or something, I'll be like, well, you know what? I don't have enough ACC teams winning. I should probably pick a couple of more. So <laughs> right. I do that all the time, man. Yeah. Um, I kind of did the same thing. Basically, I was peeling through the matchups looking for what I thought would decide the game, not necessarily what uh, experts or other people were picking thought would decide the game. We'll see how that works. Uh, you know, like you, I usually end up with, at least when I do this on bull pick maybe a little heavy on the ACC victories. Um, I don't think we have to worry about this year because I'm really, really ice cold on the ACC as a conference this year. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll avoid the uh, heavy ACC picks this round and we can get to it. For sure. And uh, once this gets posted, it'll be posted on chowderandgrits.com. And then uh, hopefully everybody listening to this has already hit the subscribe button on whatever medium that you're listening to it on. Um, and I'm also going to be bringing a little bit more in-depth play-by-play on chowderandgrits.com for each game. So be sure to check that out. All right. First game we've got up, December 22nd, the Jared Birmingham Bowl. Uh, this bowl has kind of gone through a brand, I, I don't know if I'll call it crisis, but, uh, right. it's changed a few times. So it started in 06 as the Papa John's bowl. Uh, yeah. once Papa John's took over as the official NFL sponsor before Papa went rogue, uh, <laughs> <laughs> boy, they, did he uh, ever. They dropped yeah. the sponsorship for this. Then it became BBVA Compass. And I think this is the first year it's Jared. I could be wrong, but Jared is a fairly new sponsor. So Yeah, yeah, that kind of caught me uh, by surprise when I saw the Birmingham Bowl today. I was not aware that it had changed, but um, yeah, the Jared Birmingham Bowl is a terrible name. Yeah, well, uh, it can only be Jared, right? So right. we've got Memphis, Wake Forest in this game, and... Uh, you know, when I first looked at this, I said Memphis is going to win on a landslide. Uh, that being said, I'm not super low on Wake Forest. I think they're a very young football team. They seem to be in every game that they play in, at least up to a certain point before before it goes all wrong for them. But 
Um, kind of looking into this a little bit closer. So this is Mike Norvell's Memphis's head coach. Uh, his third bowl game. He's 0-2 in the first two. Obviously, Norvell took over when uh, Justin Fuente left for Virginia Tech. Um, one thing that I found interesting in this one, and this seemed to be kind of a theme in all the bowls I was looking at, uh, their offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, uh, is headed to Auburn as their offensive coordinator, and he is not coaching in the game. So that'll be something to watch. This is the number four total offense in the country. They're averaging 543 yards a game, number three rushing offense, number seven scoring offense. So they can definitely put some points up. They can definitely move the ball. I don't know what your first first look was, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I like you when I went in. It was kind of one of those that I had thought about uh, beforehand. And basically, I thought Memphis was going to cruise. Um, not that I like you said, I'm not super down on Wake. And Wake has kind of turned it around towards the end of the season. You know, you have that going for you. you got a big play guy in Greg Dorch who's bound to just tear it up. And, you know, Memphis defense is not something to really hang their hat on either. But that offense quarterback by Brady White is just powerful i mean as you mentioned they they have re- multiple running backs um i believe two that are over a thousand yards and one that's almost at two thousand and uh darrell henderson i don't know that wake can slow that down enough um when you look at the matchup you see wake's defense has a hard time keeping people off the scoreboard this year and memphis has a hard time staying off the scoreboard that's not a good matchup mike norvell is zero and two in bowl games right now he's due um i got memphis winning this one yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, Sam Hartman went down for Wake Forest uh, a few weeks ago and quarterback Jamie Newman came in, sophomore. Uh, he gives them more of a dual threat um, side of things. So he, he's been a little bit more efficient through the year than Hartman. Uh, so, you know, I think if he can keep Memphis honest and Wake can control the clock, I think there's a shot they can win this game. Uh, they're running back Cade Carney. He's got almost a thousand yards on the year, eight touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, to me, it comes down to their defense. They're 75th in defense efficiency in the country. This is Oof. a this is a top 10 offense. Yeah, they play in the you know American Athletic Conference, but stopping uh, stopping Brady White, Darrell Henderson, it's uh, I just don't see it happening for Wake. I've got Memphis 45 28. That's 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 about what I expect as well. Um, now, are we going to be picking scores or just straight winners on this? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, so uh, Tim and I, we've got a little little bet going on. Uh, the loser has to purchase two Chowder and Grits t-shirts. Uh, you know, a little bit of a branding opportunity and marketing opportunity for the two of gotta us. Gotta get so. your brand right, man. Yeah, exactly. So, right. Very friendly ra- wager. Um, but yeah, we'll just go by, uh, we'll just go by record. Perfect. Perfect. Because I, did, I, I didn't, didn't get some scores, but in my head, that's exactly what I was picturing. Um, Memphis is going over 40. There's no real question. The only question is Newman. Um, I think he's going to be really good, man. He's, he's about a Cam Newton sized body and a quarterback. Uh, he's really, really a, a powerful guy, especially when you get him in the red zone, really hard to tackle. I thought he did really well, given the fact that he was the third string quarterback, I believe. Um, and Carney just runs so hard. I love Wake. I mean, I really like Wake as a team here. That's the hard part about this. I think. Memphis is one of the worst teams they could have matched up with. So, um, you know, those are the breaks sometimes in bowl season. Yeah, this feels like the best Wake Forest team, at least with the most potential in a long time. Like if you remember back to the Riley Skinner days. (laughs) Of course I do. um, I think 
I think that was probably the last time they were respectable, at least on a consistent basis. So, you know, Wake is a tiny school, uh, very strong academically. It's hard for them to, they're like a, a poor man's version athletically of like Notre Dame, you know? So, um, They've got some challenges there from a program standpoint. If they win, great for them. I just don't see it happening. Um, yeah, I do too. And uh, yeah, props to them though. Dave Clawson, great coach. I, I think they've got a pretty good, uh, a pretty bright future next year. For sure. Uh, so let's move on to the first responder bowl. Uh, that is Boston College against Boise State. And uh, one thing to note here, and we'll get into this more uh, next week when we talk about some of the news and notes around the ACC, but. Uh, Boston College did extend Steve um, Adazio. What was it? Two years? Okay. Gave him two year extension. Um, so that I, was I uh, that's correct. It was not a ringing endorsement from the AD. It was more of it. <laughs> no. Really feels like more of a uh, you have one one more year to get this ship on track. And you know, if they if they lose this game, they'll finish seven and six for the fifth year in a row. So yeah. Hasn't been a lot of improvement. They're not terrible. They started what, what I found with this game. I don't know about you, but when I dove deeper into Boston College, I asked myself, I was like, you know, I really don't think Boston College is that good. Do you have a similar thought? I do. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned Adazio. He's basically like the Jeff Fisher of college football at this point. Um, he's almost good for seven and six every year. You know what you're getting with him. You know how his team's going to play. Um even when they have a promising start to the season, they regress towards the mean by the end of the season. It's it's interesting. I don't think Boston College is that good. Um, they don't have a whole lot going for them. And unfortunately, um, again, this is one of those matchups where um, I I thought at, at first glance, Boise would steamroll them. You think Boise, you think spread offense, you think a, a high-flying offense. And then I just thought for a second, and I'm not so sure where to take this one. It became a toss-up to me the more I thought about it. How do you feel about this game? Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. The the best thing Boston College has going for them is Scott Leffler would not be calling the plays in this game. Okay, so <laughs> they don't have that. So they, they have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, they got to get Dylan on track. Anthony Brown is at an okay season. Um you know, they started seven and two. They didn't they get blown out by Clemson. They lost a close game on the road to Florida State. Couldn't get over the hump in Tallahassee that they have struggled with mightily there. And then they get blown out by Syracuse. So they end the year losing three in a row. Um, their big wins, I guess we'll say Miami and Virginia Tech. That is not a ringing endorsement. Three of their wins came against Holy Cross, UMass and Louisville. So that is where I was really like, wow, you know, Boston College really hasn't beaten a good team this year. Um, no. the way that I see this game playing out, unless Dylan is going to run for, you know, 250 plus yards, I just, I don't know how they're going to be able to keep up offensively with the Boise State offense. Uh, this Boise State yeah. team is good. It's the first ranked team to play in this game, which we didn't mention this first responders bowl, formerly heart of Dallas bowl, first ranked team to play in this game in seven years. Um, the quarterback, Brett Ripon, it's in, in, in uh, Mountain West's Offensive Player of the Year, completed 67% of his passes. He's got 3,700 yards, 30 touchdowns, seven picks. Their running back has 1,400 yards with 17 touchdowns. He rushed for 200, over 200 yards in the last two games. So to me, 
Uh, Boston College's defense isn't terrible. I think they have the 54th rated scoring defense. They're averaging about allowing 25 points a game. Uh, they do lead the nation with interceptions, but they rank 96th in pass defense as far right. as yards per game given up. So that's an odd statistic to me, but I think the mix of the high-powered Boise State offense and the somewhat weak pass defense, even though they're able to force turnovers, I, I think it's just too much for, for Boston College to handle. And Boise State's a three-point favorite in this one. I I like them to win by at least two touchdowns. Good. I'm I'm glad we uh we you say that because we disagree. I, I was worried there we'd agree the whole way through when I was writing these up. So that's good. I did a little oh, more let me digging. Tell you, I rem- I've yeah. got some shockers on my list. I've got some shockers. Good. Good. Okay. Good. Well, look. I I hope hopefully we continue to trend in opposite directions to make this a little more exciting. Um, AJ Dillon, right? Obviously, the key getting him on track is going to be what wins or loses this game. I'm not so sure they have an equivalent of what Boston College tries to do with the ball in the Mountain West Conference. I think that's going to get Boise State a little off balance. Um, Boston College isn't going to go there and, and sling the ball around the field. Um, hopefully, they'll have a little more ball control uh, than Boise State is used to dealing with. But I used the associative property of addition to make my pick here. And that is the okay. fact that both of these teams play UVA. Boston College beat UVA 41 to 10. Boise State lost to UVA 42 to 23. Therefore, Boston College wins in a tight one. Okay. Yeah, what uh re- refresh my memory. They or Boise State played was that on the road against UVA? It was. Yeah, very early in the season. Yeah, so to me UVA was playing a little bit stronger. Uh, they they were they seemed to be a little bit better earlier on in the season, and then they started to kind of fade away. Uh, Boise State to me is red hot right now, and Boston College is ice cold. And to me, that was kind of the the biggest thing that really swung swung me to the Boise State side. Definitely would not be shocked if Boston College won this game. I always think um, when you've got a non Power Five school with like what appears to be a phenomenal record. And then you go and look at their schedule and, you know, the best team that they've played is seven and five. I think, uh, right. I think the numbers can kind of, kind of get lost on you there a little bit. So I'm going to stick sure. to Boise state. I think, uh, I just think the offense is too high powered. Um, so we'll see. I think, I think it should be a good game though. Yeah. It'll be um, fun to watch and it'll be two opposing styles, which always makes for a fun game. So moving on to Detroit, same day, quick lane bowl. We've got Minnesota against the triple option for the last time, hopefully ever, in Georgia Tech. What are your initial thoughts on this one? Man, I love this game. I'm so excited for this game. It is Paul Johnson's last hurrah. Will he get a Viking burial or will he be left on the battlefield for the Ravens to pick at him? I don't know, but I am excited to see it. I'm excited that we're sending Paul Johnson off into the sunset, never to return into the ACC again, as I knock on wood. Um, you know, it's the last showing of the triple offense at Georgia Tech, the triple option offense, I should say, at Georgia Tech. Yeah, maybe it'll bring up some emotions. There'll be some misty eyes. Who knows? I do know this. Minnesota is a Jekyll and Hyde team if there's ever been one. They beat a very, very good Fresno team. 
um, you know, beat Purdue and trounced Wisconsin. But they were also destroyed by Nebraska and Illinois and a, a bunch of other teams in the Big Ten that, that weren't to snuff. I, I was, this was a tight one for me. I'm really excited to hear what you thought. I'll go ahead and give you my thoughts since you uh, gave me the first batch there on BC Boise. When I look at Minnesota, I see one glaring problem, and that's their rush defense. Currently giving up 5.22 yards per rush and 170 yards per game. They've struggled with that all year. And if you have an Achilles heel, that is not the Achilles heel you want to have going into a game against Georgia Tech. Um, you know, they don't have the triple option in their conference. They're not like other ACC teams that kind of know what to expect with Paul. It's one of those things where you're going to have a lot of film and you're going to know exactly what he's going to try to do. But until you get out there and face the triple option and have your knees cut out from underneath you about 100 times every quarter, you don't really know what you get until you get in there and get you uh, get punched in the mouth. Uh, so we will see. I took Georgia Tech in this one. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm on the same page with you. The the thing with Georgia Tech, the first thing I did with Minnesota is I went and looked at their schedule and I didn't see them playing any triple option teams this year. So to me, that is a huge advantage for Georgia Tech. Uh, this is. This is a tough game to prepare for if you're a school that does not play them every year. So Georgia Tech, to me, always has an advantage when they're going up against the out-of-conference opponent. That's not, you know, Georgia because they're going to play them every single year. It's hard to prepare for when you don't know how. You can watch as much game film as you want. But, I mean, what different shift changes the play in this kind of offense? So it's uh, it's going to be tough for them to stop. Like you said, the Minnesota rushing off their defense is not great. Georgia Tech is averaging 335 rushing yards on the uh, or per game. Uh, they don't even have to throw the ball to win. Uh, right. Let's look at the Virginia Tech game. They threw one pass. It was incomplete. They won by three touchdowns. And then the next week, they beat UNC. They completed two passes, attempting two passes, so they won in back-to-back weeks going two for three through the air. Right. So that is – that's going to be tough for Minnesota. I think, you know, the clock is going to be a big challenge in this one for them. I just don't think their offense has enough to kind of work with what what's going to happen on the defensive side of the ball for them. So they've got a young quarterback in Tanner Morgan. Uh, they had to win right. two of the last three. Uh, to become bowl eligible, um, and their their running back uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, he's got close to a thousand yards, seven touchdowns. But you know, I was surprised Georgia Tech was only a four point favorite in this one. It's going to be that nasty, dominant, you know, hard nosed football. Except it's going to be in a dome. I think that's the only, it's the only downside of this. I want to see this game in like Pittsburgh in the snow, you know, because it's going to be like ugly. It's going to be one of the trenches. But oh, yeah. I've got, I've got Georgia Tech, Tech, Georgia Tech, big in this one, thirty-eight seventeen. So, yeah. Okay. Well, so we totally agree on that one. Um, I think it's going to be like you said, one of those games that the issue with Georgia Tech is, and the uncomfortable thing is if you get down two touchdowns, you're almost out of the game. So it's not one of those where you can kind of get the feel for it and jump in and kind of learn as the game goes on. You've got to be ready to stop that triple option as soon as you get out on the field. And I just I just 
I don't see them doing that. And I also don't see a, an offense powerful enough to counterbalance a, a suspect defense. So uh, flex boy is obviously going down in my opinion, but we'll see. It'll be another one of those that I, um, I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, so another interesting game we got coming up, and this is probably one of my top three favorite bowl names of the year. The Walk-Ons Independence Bowl. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think walk-ons is like a bistro bar and grill or something like that. So, uh, I think it's a new one. I don't recognize that, that bowl from, uh, from years past, but it is Duke against Temple. And, uh, these are two teams really kind of moving in a different direction. Temple just landed Manny Diaz as their new head coach, which I think is a knockout hire. Uh, to me, he's great. the best coach on Miami's uh, coaching staff, including Mark Richt. So um, sure. I was honestly surprised he didn't go to a Power 5 school um, to jump to Temple. But good hire for them. Uh, that being said, that really has no effect on this game. So what does uh, what what is interesting about this game is on paper these two teams match up pretty well. Um, they're both very balanced as far as passing and rushing offense. Uh, both teams give up quite a few yards on the ground. Duke's averaging um, Duke is allowing over 220 yards per game, um, and these two teams are they're somewhat even in the uh, in the box score. But Temple has won four of their last five. The only loss came to UCF. Duke has finished two and three in their last five, getting blown out by Wake Forest, fifty-nine to seven. So, oh, I don't know what one. your uh, what your initial take is on this one, but I'm leaning towards Temple. So, I, I like you. That's where I started. I thought I would come out of this picking Temple. Looking at the teams, there's not a whole lot that separates them on paper. They're very similar. Um, so going down, I'm trying to find important places where I see one team having a huge edge over another team. And I found that at the quarterback position, I don't know about you, but I'm a big Daniel Jones fan. Um, his stats aren't going to wow you off the page, but he's efficient. He runs cuts offense well. Um, he makes smart plays, and he's tough as nails. I, I really like Daniel Jones. What I don't like about Temple is their quarterback play. Anthony Russo has been iffy this year. Um, and I can't get behind a quarterback with a one-to-one TD to interception ratio. So I'm actually taking Duke here because everything seems to be a wash except the golf there at the quarterback position. Yeah, I was, I was torn on this as well because, you know, Jeff Collins is gone. Um, they've got right. Ed Foley stepping in again. Um, and he's been in that situation with Matt Rule left for Baylor. So. He's not foreign to that. The players are familiar with him, but I think it's always a challenge when you lose lose your head coach. So with uh, my my big thing with Daniel Jones is I am a fan of his too. I think he has a shot to be a pretty decent NFL quarterback. I don't know if it's yeah, a yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a Josh Allen situation going on where just some of the talent around him is not super great, but. He's been pretty inconsistent over the last few weeks. He only has 15, he's only completing 59% of his passes, which to me, it should be higher if you're yeah, a quarterback. He should be above status. 60. Yeah. No question. 60 and above. And it's, the yeah. It's weird when you're talking Daniel Jones. I won't pro- profess to have seen all of his games, but in the games I have seen him, I've come away impressed every time I see him. 
What doesn't align with what I'm seeing with him is his statistics for the year. I was not expecting to see a 59% completion percentage from him. I really wasn't. Um, I wasn't expecting to see him with the amount of yards he had. I thought he'd be closer to 3,000. It's weird. When you see him, he leaves an impact, and you clearly say he's the best player on that offense. Clearly. It's just weird to see that misalignment with the statistics. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he did miss two games, um, and he's been very efficient in some games, and then in others, um, you know, just like, for example, in the Wake Forest game, 17 for 36 for 145 against a pretty yeah. pretty bad Wake defense. So I don't know what was going yeah. on in that game. Um, that, to me, is concerning. Duke just hasn't looked good in the last five games. I mean, their two wins came against Miami and North Carolina. North Carolina's terrible. Miami is an okay win. Um, okay, they lost to Clemson, but the blowout to Wake, to me, I, I couldn't get past that, and Temple's been hot. So that is why I am sticking with the Owls. Yeah, I like that um, pick. I mean, this is this one is as close to a toss-up, I think, as I had on this list. Looking at the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, we've got Miami <laughs> against Wisconsin, and man, uh, I am... <laughs> I am sarcastically looking forward to this quarterback matchup and Alex Hornibrook and uh, Nikosi Perry. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm actually submitting a name change request uh, to New Era as we speak. This should be the what in the absolute hell happened to these two teams, Bull. What Do you happened? mean the, the two teams that were in the top 10 to start the season? Is that what you're implying? That's what I'm referring to. And, and with good, I mean, that was legitimate selections in the top 10. These weren't teams that I had doubts about going into the season. Um, I had doubts about some of the positions on some of these teams, um, specifically Miami at quarterback, uh, things like that. But I did not expect to see both of these teams at seven and five playing in a half empty Yankee stadium at the end of the year. Yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be an ugly, ugly football game. Um, yeah, to me, it really came down to, one player who has the best player in this game. It's Wisconsin. Jonathan Easily. Taylor. The guy is a yep. stud. Okay. And Absolute for stud. Wisconsin to not like ride this guy more. I mean, Hornibrook, he proved last year he was not a guy who is going to be able to lead a team or look like a guy that's going to be able to lead a team anytime soon to, to, uh, to prominence, but he's super inconsistent. Got a completion percentage under 60. He's only thrown for over 200 yards in a game twice this season. But Thomas on the other side of things, I mean, again, Wisconsin and Georgia, they seem to be like, you know, just a running back zoo for the NFL. It's just like, who's, who's the next guy that's coming up? It's just the amount of talent that they're, that they're producing. And Thomas has rushed for over 100 yards in 11 out of 12 games this season. He's gone for over 200 yards four times. He had 321 yards against Purdue. And uh, he's got – he's 11 yards from 2,000. He's got 15 touchdowns. He's just – he's going to give that Miami defense problems. They're they're allowing 127 on the ground, which isn't terrible for college. No. Um, but to me, Nikosi Perry is so bad at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And the quarterback yeah. play for Miami has just been 
so bad all season. I I just we're gonna we're gonna pick the Texas uh, the Texas game later, and I've got an example in there. But I just don't understand if you're Miami how you can't draft or uh, recruit a quarterback. I mean, it's you're Miami. Like, where where is the talent? Like Nikosi Perry is a wide receiver that can't throw, and he's playing quarterback. Right. Right. And it's funny when you consider the alternative to that, which is Wake Forest somehow always finds a quarterback. Wake Forest has had a better quarterback than Miami for the past six years, it feels like, even though obviously that's not the case. Um, granted, you know, they have Kaya in the league, um, you know, Ja'Cory Harris before him. But, man, it is mind-blowing to me how they just cannot find a quarterback to just play at an acceptable level. You don't have to go out there and get a world beater. You don't need the next coming of Philip Rivers down there. You just need somebody who can go out there and not lose you football games. And they find the exact opposite of that. It's crazy. Hornybrook is exactly what Wisconsin always trots out at quarterback sands the year Russell Wilson was there. We know exactly what Wisconsin's going to do. They win and they don't need a quarterback to win. They need a quarterback to not shoot them in the foot. And Hornibrook seems to do that on occasion. He does have more slip-ups than we're used to seeing from a Wisconsin quarterback. Um, it's been a struggle at times for him. But as you said, Jonathan Taylor is just so fantastic. He's so fantastic. And I really don't think Miami has the offense needed to be able to pull away in this game or maintain a lead in this game when they have to deal with uh, Jonathan Taylor. So for me, this is an easy one. I think Wisconsin wins. I think it's going to be tight just because of the nature of the two teams. But I think Wisconsin gets it done. Yeah, this is going to be a game that I'm going to watch and I'm going to sit there and be like, I've got to have something better else to do than watch this game. But I hope it's snowing. I hope it's like raining. I hope it's like 20 degrees and it's just ground and pound the entire time. And I think the game will probably be close. Um, But I, I just like Wisconsin to come out on top. So I have got I've got the Badgers. All right, up next, Friday, December 28th, we've got the Syracuse Orange against West Virginia in the Camping World Bowl in Orlando. This game got a lot more interesting. Uh, I did. I liked liked Syracuse anyway in this game. I thought they're being overlooked. Uh, I know Will Greer is a really good quarterback. And then all of a sudden, Will Greer said, you know what? I'm going to the NFL and I ain't playing in this game. So right. big question marks for West Virginia on offense. Yeah. I mean, you lose your X factor. Literally the guy on your football program that makes your team go at the last game of the season. That is extremely tough. Um now, look, David Sills and Gary Jennings are going to get it done. They're going to find space. They're going to get open. And the backup quarterback is going to make plays because of them. Um, the offense will still do well. But, t- but look, we have a, a baller in Eric Dungy. And I love Dino Baber's offensive system. I mean, they keep you on your toes. They go fast. You seemingly can't get quarterback pressures against them because the ball is out as soon as they get done with their three-step drop. This is going to be tough for West Virginia. Um, seeing your leader bow out 
at this point in the season too. And this is not a criticism. I completely understand why players are doing this. But mentally for the other guys in the team that are going to go to battle now without the guy that they've been leaning on all year, it's going to be interesting how Holgerson gets them ready from a mental standpoint to go out there and fight like they're used to fighting. Um, it, this is going to be a very interesting game. Yeah, you know, I found it interesting because when this game was announced, West Virginia opened as a six and a half point favorite. Uh, they've right. now dropped to a one and a half point favorite, which blows my mind that they would be favored in this game with a guy who has thrown 10 passes in his career. Uh, they're also <laughs> okay. going to be missing uh, Yadni Kajust, who uh, mm-hmm. starting uh, starting tackle, he is also going to the draft. So I did a little deep dive into Jack Allison just to understand a little bit more about who, uh, who was going to be throwing the ball around for the Mountaineers. And uh, he's a transfer from Miami. Like I said, he's only thrown 10 passes in his career all this year. 75 yards, one touchdown, one pick. He was a four-star recruit in the 2016 class, 13th-ranked pro-style quarterback. Uh, you know, so it, it sounds like he can play a little bit. Uh, I don't really care what he was rated to high school. This is uh, this is big boy football now. I don't like that this is his first football game. Um, yes, West Virginia does have three running backs that average five yards a carry and have 17 mm-hmm. touchdowns combined this year. They've got four receivers averaging at least 14.7 yards per catch. Um, so they've definitely got playmakers. They spread the ball around. Uh, I think Allison's got to come in and not make mistakes just for any any right. shot for West Virginia to win this game. Now, Syracuse side of the ball, I, I can't remember what year it was. I, I don't remember if Dungy was a freshman or if he was a sophomore. I want to say it was 2016. and. It was the year that Virginia Tech went up to uh, Syracuse and lost in mm-hmm. a very close game. But ever since then, I've had kind of a man crush on Eric Dungy. The guy yeah. is a beast. Like we were, I was watching that game against Virginia Tech, and Syracuse was clearly the inferior opponent on the team. But the reason they were in the game was because of him. Now he doesn't oh, have numbers. Yeah. This guy doesn't have numbers that are going to blow you away, but he can run the ball. He's a fairly efficient passer. He doesn't make too many mistakes. He's tough as nails. He's probably going to have between 12 to 18 carries in this game. That seems to be kind of his average. If I'm looking at these two, Dungy and Greer, I think Dungy maybe has a better pro career than than Will Greer does. But uh, I like... uh, I think both of these teams are very even on paper. That might come as a surprise to you. Again, Syracuse is consistently overlooked. Uh, Dino Baber should have won multiple Coach of the Year awards. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a shootout. It may not be now, especially with the Allison thing. But um, I like Syracuse to win in this one, I guess, in the upset. Uh, but I think they win 48-38. I think it's going to be a fairly high-scoring affair. Yeah, and I mean, talking about Dungy, what he does on the field is incredible from a talent standpoint. But the guy is a leader. He He's one of those guys that you just know controls that locker room because he goes out there. I have never seen a guy take some of the hits that he takes and jumps right back up and gets right back into the huddle and keeps playing. Guys respect the hell out of that. And I cannot wait. And I, I actually, I hope the best for Dungy. I hope he's able... 
uh, to go out on a high because honestly, he's been one of my favorite players to watch in the league over the past three years. He's been absolutely a blast to watch. And on the flip side of that, you have Allison, who's now going in to face the Syracuse defense. And oh, yeah, that guy, Andre Cisco, um, who's only got seven picks this year and was the defensive freshman of the year in the conference, um, along with other players in that secondary who are turning the ball over and, and getting interceptions and fumble recoveries. It's going to be tough. Um, they're scrappy on defense and they, they are get after it on offense. And for those reasons, I have Syracuse winning this as well. Um, so that brings us to Saturday, December 29th. We have got Virginia against South Carolina down in Charlotte in the Belk Bowl. So, uh, I'd say looking at at least numbers, Virginia kind of checks out as a superior team on defense. Um, yes. That being said, I don't think they played the schedule South Carolina played. Um, Virginia or UVA, they've lost three out of four, including two overtime losses to Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Uh, I will say that was their 15th straight loss to Virginia Tech. Uh, the only team they beat in that stretch was Liberty. Uh, they do have Bryce Perkins, who is their quarterback. Very, very mm-hmm. good dual threat option. Uh, had close to 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns, nine picks. He's also second on the team in rushing by less than 100 yards. He's got 842 yards and nine touchdowns on the ground. And then uh, senior Jordan Ellis is the lead rusher on the team with 920 yards, nine touchdowns. But uh, the more I looked at this game, the the harder the harder choice I felt like I had. I came into it thinking I was probably going to pick UVA. And uh, the more I looked at South Carolina, the more I felt like they were the better football team. All five of their losses have come to ranked teams. Uh, Their wins aren't super impressive, but their quarterback, Jake Bentley, um, Mm -hmm. he's got 64% completion percentage. He threw for 510 yards and five touchdowns against Clemson. He's got a little bit better than a two-to-one touchdown to interception ratio. I like South Carolina in this one, even though they're missing their top target in uh, Debo Samuels, who who left for the draft. Mm -hmm. So. I uh, I pick South Carolina. I think it's going to be super close. I think UVA probably covers. I think the spread is about minus four right now in South Carolina's favor. But I've got South Carolina 38-35. Yeah, um, you hit on all the high points. Bryce Perkins set the record for offensive yards this year for UVA. Um, he's absolutely the real deal. The guy's dynamic. He gets it done. Um, Zacchaeus, a wide receiver, you know, they got a big-time NFL corner in Bryce Hall. Uh, you know, I went into this thinking I was going to pick UVA uh, for those reasons. UVA, is, th- their whole program is changing, right? This is their second consecutive bowl appearance for the first time in over a decade. Um, Bronco has them seemingly right back on track. Uh, but Charlotte is a safe haven for the Gamecocks. I think they're 3-0 and there over the past three years. Um, you know, they've played some regular season games against NC State as well as bowl games. Um Something about Charlotte and, you know, the proximity to the fan base down there, so many alumni in the area, it's going to be a really tough environment for UVA to come down to. UVA notoriously, uh, even though they're close uh, to the stadium, they don't travel quite as well. Um, you know, and that's always tough. Jake Bentley is another one of those guys who's just a warrior. 
Um, you know, he's a coach's kid. His, his coach is on the staff there. His dad's on the staff there at South Carolina. And he's very cerebral. Um, he can move in the pocket, great arm, super efficient. Like you said, 64% completion percentage is fantastic. Basically 3,000 yards in the air. Um, Rico Dowdle and Mondensen are really effective on the ground, both averaging north of five yards a carry, which is sort of that break point where you see backs hitting above five yards a carry. You kind of know that they're, they're going to be more on that dynamic side, um, harder to stop. And that's pretty impressive coming from a conference, the SEC, which typically has really strong defensive line and linebackers. Um, it's really tough to rush in that conference. So there's a lot of things pointing both of these teams' ways that you could say, okay, well, I like this about UVA. I like this about South Carolina, but I think that it's in Charlotte. It, it's right there at the North Carolina, South Carolina border. Um, that team, like you said, has only lost to ranked teams this year. They played good teams tight. Um, and I just, I, I think they're going to get it done. I think UVA had a soft schedule this year. And I think a lot of their success came from playing weaker opponents. Um, not to knock them. I think they're a legitimate bowl team. But I think that the record is a little better than the talent is at this point. Um, you know, I, I think they're certainly trending it up. But right now, I'm taking South Carolina to win that game on the backs of Bentley and Rico Dowdle. Um, not having Debo Samuel will hurt in the return game. It'll obviously hurt as he's the number one passing target for Bentley as well. But South Carolina recruits well. They're a deep team. Um, and I think they're going to come out on top. So South Carolina wins that one. Uh in a definitely a tight one, definitely less than a touchdown in my opinion. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it on the head with UVA and you know, I had UVA fans reaching out to me like we're going to be Virginia Tech this year, yada yada yada. Fine. Their schedule was super soft in the first half of the season and when they got yeah. to the thick of the conference schedule, which you know, this is the ACC. It's right. it, it ain't that tough. They they thick really started quotation marks well. there. Yeah, they really started to struggle. So um, that's what kind of led me to South Carolina, even though, hey, you know, you lost the five ranked opponents. You know, I'm not saying that makes you a good team, but um, they were in they were in most of those games. So. Right. And, uh, and because of that, they're going to go in battle hardened, too. Right. I mean, they've had experience playing much better teams than UVA has had to play this year. Full stop. The yeah. consistency in the South Carolina schedule was much better. They're going to be the, playing UVA is not going to be um, something that they're extremely worried about or anything that's going to catch them off guard. They're going to be ready. I don't know that you can say that about UVA. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Bronco here to win, a lot of pressure on UVA to win to get things turned around for that football program. Um, you know, those kind of things mentally pile up. And I think that South Carolina is going to be able to play a lot more free because of that. All right, let's jump to the military bowl on New Year's Eve. Uh, we're going to come to the college football playoff matchups at the end. Uh, we've got Virginia Tech, Cincinnati. Virginia Tech is in their 26th straight bowl. Uh, they have had a non-Virginia Tech-style season, so they dropped 6 out of 10 at one point. Uh, they had a four-game losing streak. Uh, if they lose this game, this is the first time they'll have a losing season since 1992. Justin Fuente mm -hmm. earlier earlier this week said, you know, that hasn't really come up. We're not using that as motivation. I don't think that's necessarily the case. They use the bull streak as motivation. I don't know why you would want to be the first team in, um, I don't know how long that is, 26 years, to <laughs> right. to have a losing record 
So I, I wouldn't want that stamp on on my uh, resume as a player. So I, w- I would definitely use that as motivation. Um, and I think the biggest weak point, and I'm sure you agree with this, is uh, the defensive backfield for Virginia Tech. It is uh, oh, it yeah. is not DBU like it once was. Uh, a lot of young defensive backs, just tackling has been a consistent issue. And uh, I think the one bright spot of Virginia Tech's defense has been Dax Holyfield and Rashard Ashby in the linebacking in the linebacking unit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bright future. So the linebacking unit, the uh, secondary is what gives me the most pause about this entire game. Um, you know, that, that secondary, and this is not something I'm blaming on bud um, scheme wise. I think we could have helped them out more. Uh, bud kind of put them on an Island this year. Like bud is known to do. That's, that's what he does, right? We put our cornerbacks on an Island, hope our defensive linemen make plays. Um, and hope we're able to force turnovers by doing that and get pressure on the quarterback. But um, we had a really, really, really tough time this year. Uh, Watson Farley got got manhandled a lot of times this year in one-on-one coverage, um, and that was really, really disheartening to see. Um, you know, the other piece to that is the fact that Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati's quarterback, has had a pretty good year. Um, you know, he's been at 2,300 yards, which is an eye-popping um, but he's a dual threat quarterback who's got nine, t- 19 touchdowns to five interceptions. That's almost a four to one interception to touchdown ratio, which is fantastic. Um, dual threat quarterbacks historically give Bud problems. Um, it's a balanced rushing and passing football team, uh, top 25 total offense. This is not looking like a great matchup for Virginia Tech in this game. Yeah, you know, they're, they're running back Michael Warren, uh, the second. He's got 1,100 yards, but 17 touchdowns. He's a big back. He's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a top 10 scoring defense at 16 points a game is what they're allowing. And But I, I kind of dove into their schedule a little bit. I think it's one of those cases where it's hidden by the, the opponent that they're playing. I mean, they're 10-2 and two in the AAC. AAC is not a terrible conference. Mm-hmm. Um, not at all. They were 6-2 and two in conference play. They didn't have any impressive wins on their on their resume. Not that Virginia Tech's got a ton either, but what I like about Virginia Tech in this game is Ryan Willis seems to be coming into his own. Um, yeah. He he was thrown into action on uh, September 22nd against Old Dominion. The game was a little too far gone for him to lead the team back in that one. Uh, but he's thrown for 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns, 8 picks. The one thing about him is he's got a... Uh, a Brett Favre mentality about him. He is kind of a gunslinger. <laughs> he sure. uh, he takes a lot of sacks. He takes really frustrating sacks sometimes. He holds onto the ball way too long. But he's coming off of his best game of the year against Marshall where you know he completed almost 70% of his passes. He had over 300 yards, four touchdowns. And he can, he can make some plays with his legs. He's not afraid to take off. I think um, one of the big keys for Virginia Tech in this one is working in their running backs and – to me, that has been the weak point of the Fuente offense since he's been in Blacksburg is this rotational type uh, type system he's got in play for the running back. So right now, Peoples is the uh, leading rusher on the team with 790 yards. I'd like to see a little bit more McLeese, who came back for the Marshall game. He had been out injured. Yeah. And uh, yep. to me, he's the third down back, no doubt, for the Hokies in this game. Um, I like Virginia Tech to 
to win this. Um, like I said, Cincinnati, they lost the two toughest games on their schedule, which was UCF and Temple. Other than that, I didn't really see see an impressive win. Um, and I, I just like how Virginia Tech's been playing. So I, uh, I'm i picking the Hokies in this one. I I like your pick, and I certainly hope it comes to fruition, but I'm going Cincinnati in this one only because they match up so well and they line up with the teams that have given us trouble this year. Um, I will say that giving Bud this much time to prepare for an opponent makes it very hard on the opponent, typically. We will see if that holds true. I just think we're too limited from a depth perspective and a talent perspective to pull this one out. Hoping I'm wrong, but I'm going to have to go with Cincinnati in this one. And I just wanted to say you're spot on about Ryan. Ryan Willis is an absolute gunslinger. It's why I like him so much. Um, Stark contrast uh, to Jackson. When you have somebody there who maybe was a little too conservative, it's nice to have a guy that'll take some risks. Um, He's not going to slide if he's got three yards to go for a first down. He's a warrior. I'm really excited to see how he continues to develop because I went in thinking he was a stopgap. Next year, looking forward, I'm thinking Ryan Willis has what it takes to lead uh, the Virginia Tech football program. So we'll see. Uh, really excited to see what he can do here. And, um, you know, hopefully the fan turnout is good given the location of this bowl game. Um, we'll see. We'll see. That defense spells trouble, but I will be watching nonetheless. Yeah, I think uh... – I have a feeling if you remember uh, Frank Beamer's last game, which I'm sure you do, it was uh, against Tulsa. Mm-hmm. It was against Tulsa. What what bowl was that? I can't remember the name of the bowl. Was that the Sun Bowl in El Paso? No, no. That was uh, against UCLA. But whatever. They were playing Tulsa. The game was like 54-52. I wouldn't be surprised right. if that was the case. So I think there's there has a there's a good chance there's a lot of a lot of points scored. So it could be fun to watch, Absolutely. nonetheless. Uh, speaking of the Sun Bowl, Tim, we've got Pitt against Stanford down in beautiful El Paso, Texas. Uh, these teams have met three times in history. You know the last time they met? When was that? 1932. Whoa. Pitt, Pitt won 7 to nothing. And they hold an all-time record of one and two over Stanford's head. So uh, Stanford definitely looking for revenge in this one. Uh, Pitt ranks 69th in total defense, has given up 48 touchdowns. Stanford's 78 in total defense and given up 32. So from that standpoint, um, it sounds like there could be some points scored in this one. Stanford's allowing 140 yards rushing per game. As you know, Quadri Olison and Darren Hall are the best part mm-hmm. about this pit team so that is uh that to me is the biggest x factor in this game is stanford uh can stanford stop that running that running back duo yeah you know and and that's what you always say going in with Pitt. you're (laughs) they're really going to try to do one thing and they can't really go up to pick it and say okay go win us this football game no offense um that's not a a slant on him this the system's not built for that it's not friendly to him, and he's not able to get it done at this point in his career. Um, I think he's you proven he can't do it. On that one. Right. Yeah, he's proven he right. can't and do it. it. I mean, the ACC that's weird to say. Proof. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. And it's weird to say about a guy who led his team to the ACC championship game. It was just a weird year on that coastal side of the conference. 
Um, you know, the, the thing that's interesting to me is Bryce Love. What happened to Bryce Love? I mean, he, he had multiple injuries this year. I'm going to chalk it up to that. But if you look at, at the disparity in the two years he had prior to this year and then throw in this year, it's, I mean, he was the Heisman front runner for a lot of people coming into the year. Um, it's, it's surprising to see him sitting at 730 yards and six touchdowns at this point. Yeah, he was, uh, I mean, he was a guy who you thought would have been in the Heisman conversation at the end of the year. I mean, he, he's a dynamic right. running back. I chalk it up to injuries. Um, and to me, that is why Stanford has underachieved this year. They're eight and sure. four. They were expected to compete for a weak Pac 12 title. Um, mm-hmm. and they lost all of their tough games other than Oregon, who Oregon kind of faded throughout the year, but they lost to Notre Dame. They lost to Utah. They lost to Washington State. They lost to Washington. So that's three conference losses right there. You know, that, that was pretty disappointing to me. Um, yeah. Especially, especially in that conference. But, you know, KJ Costello, he's a pretty solid quarterback. Uh, he's oh, yeah. super high completion percentage, 66%, 3,400 yards, 29 touchdowns, 11 picks, thrown over 300 yards seven times this year. I really like Costello. And uh, that, that, that to me is why I'm picking uh, Stanford in this game. I think uh, when you have to rely on two running backs so heavily, you become very one-dimensional, and Stanford to me is good enough to adapt to that and to uh, to be able to figure out how to stop it. They've been here before. Uh, the Sun Bowl is not; it's probably one of the lower-level bowls they played in over the last five years. So uh, I do like Stanford to win this one. Yeah, I, I like Stanford too. Costello is the real deal. Um, you, you go back to Bryce Love with a dynamic, almost track. He is a track athlete, really, in a, in a running back body. Um, when those guys get ankle injuries, they tend to, to hang around. Um, you lose your ability to cut uh, and, and get to top speed as quickly as Bryce usually does. That's going to limit you. A shame to see it because Bryce Love is a local guy from around here. Uh, went all the way out to the West Coast and just killed it. Um, everyone here was rooting for him. We didn't get to see another Bryce Love-esque season, um, but he's still dangerous. Another guy for Stanford who I think is an absolute weapon is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Um, they're large, wide out. You know, he's about probably 6'3", 215, 220. Um, he's got 14 touchdowns as a wide receiver. I mean, he's a red zone weapon. It's crazy. He's sitting at 14 touchdowns and basically 1,000 yards. Couple that with K.J. Costello. Their offense, Pitt's defense will be able to slow them down a little bit. Stanford's defense, I think, will be able to slow down Pittsburgh's rushing attack fairly substantially because you don't have to respect the pass with Pittsburgh. You can stack the box. You can play predictable defense to a predictable offense. And for those reasons, I also have Stanford winning. And and I don't think this one is going to be particularly close. Yeah, no, I don't either. Um, I think Pitt had a decent season. it is kind of embarrassing for the ACC to have a team that's probably going to finish 500 as your Coastal Division champ, but yeah, it is what it is. Um, I, I just I think Stanford has a little bit too much on offense for for Pitt to handle. Yeah. That brings us to the last bowl game for the ACC that is not a playoff game, and it is 
your NC State Wolfpack against yeah. the Texas A&M Aggies. I'll let you start yeah. this one. Well, I just think it's funny. Um, we all know why Jimbo took the job in Texas A&M. It was to get away from the NC State Wolfpack. His perennial thorn in his side has found him again. You cannot hide from a pack of wolves, Jimbo. They're coming, and they're out for blood, right? No Kelvin Harmon, no Jermaine Pratt, Elijah Drinkwitz. Haven't talked about that today. NC State's good offensive coordinator is now the head coach at Appalachian State, so someone else will be calling the plays, most likely Des Kitchings, the assistant head coach of offense. Dwayne Ledford, fantastic offensive line uh, coach for NC State. Three straight running backs over a thousand yards. He has gone off to Satterfield to be, um, or gone off to Louisville with Satterfield to be the offensive coordinator. There's going to be a lot of fresh faces and a lot of chances for guys to make an impact in this game from the coaching side. And, um, as, as you know, with Kelvin Harmon gone and Jermaine Pratt gone, the linebacking and wide receiving side of things. So a lot on the line. Um, rushing game is super strong for the Wolfpack as usual. And as it has been with Dave, uh, Doran in this program. Reggie Gillespie ending the season on a high note, set the season, single season touchdown record, um, thousand yard season, a fantastic uh, from him. It, Texas A&M and NC State are two very, very similar teams. They both have really bad secondaries. Um, it's going to be a battle of the QBs, Mond and Finley. Um, that's what you're looking at here. And this is going to make for great TV for anyone wanting to tune in for a bowl game. You like a lot of passing. You see the Big 12 and you like what's going on there and you say, hey, I'd like a Big 12 game, but I don't want Big 12 teams. This is your game. It's going to look a lot like that. There will be not a shred of pass defense played and you will get to see two really good quarterbacks get after it for about three and a half hours. So I'll disagree with you there. I think we're going to see one really good quarterback and (laughs) one guy who, man, Kellen Mond. I just, I really don't like him as a quarterback. And I know he has, he's got the clutch gene. And that is what he has gotten by on this year. I mean, he, he played his tail off against Clemson. He got a lot of help from the officials in the LSU game, but he, (laughs) he made plays when he needed to make plays. He's, uh, He's an under 60% guy. He's got almost 3,000 yards. He's not very accurate. He throws a lot of 50-50 balls, in my opinion, that for whatever reason, they seem to fall complete more than incomplete. In that Clemson game specifically, man, I thought there was like six passes in a row I thought had the chance to be intercepted, and they were all complete, and I was just like, the the announcers were just going crazy for the guy, and I'm like, "What do you want? Like, he's literally throwing jump balls. He's he's throwing a right. Johnny Manziel laser. He's not just lobbing it up in the air. He's he's lasering it across the field, but he's throwing it double and triple coverage, and it's right. it's somehow finding the way into the receiver's arms. To me, that's dangerous. the The thing I like most about A and M's offense is uh, Travion Williams. The guy yeah. has almost 600 yards in his last three games. Um. He didn't – their last game was against LSU, seven overtimes. He didn't have, you know, 300 yards in that game or anything. But he, uh, he's he been on a tear. He's got 1,500 yards in the year, 15 touchdowns. He can also catch the ball out of the backfield. 
the other guy to watch for A&M is uh, Jay Sternberger, their tight end, who is also their leading receiver. He averages 17 yards a catch, 804 yards, 10 mm. touchdowns. And they rank 30. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Kind of a George Kittle type sat line. And uh, they rank 36th in total defense, uh, allowing 354 yards per game, only 90 yards on the ground. So this was a tough game for me because I really thought NC State was going to win this game. And then they've had all the coaching changes. They've had two of their best Mm -hmm. players leave for the draft. You know, I I love Ryan Finley as a quarterback. Uh, to me, he is the best passing quarterback in the ACC. Um, yeah. Probably going to be a first-round pick. If we're looking at straight-up quarterback play, it's it's no doubt who I think is going to have the better game. Um, I like that the game is in ACC country. I don't know how much mm-hmm. of an effect that will have. Um. I really, really dislike Jimbo Fisher. So for that reason, I'm going <laughs> NC State. My man, I love that pick. I also dislike Jimbo Fisher. I'm going with NC State. This one was as tight as tight could be, especially after um, we had the departure of Kelvin Harmon, who we knew going in, but then Jermaine Pratt, who was NC State's best defensive player um, after the the fact. Also, there's uh, some rumblings locally that Tyrone Prescott who graded out as the best offensive guard in the NCAA by pro football focus um, was a first team all American by three or four different media outlets, including ESPN may not play um, because he is shooting up draft boards. So a lot going on here, even with all of the people sitting out for this game, the players that'll make an impact. I like what Dave Dorn's building at NC state. I think that program is in a really good place. And they want that 10th win. I know that means a lot to them. From a historical standpoint, NC State doesn't get many 10-win seasons. They're going to be gunning hard for it. I'm going to take NC State. Yeah, I think I think this is a big uh, a big game for NC State's program because it always seems every year NC State loses games they're supposed to win. Yeah. I didn't feel that way this year so much. I felt like they... They pretty much won every game they were supposed to. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a lot of NFL talent on the team. They've got a lot of just talent in general. Uh, I think Doran's building a great program. If you look at the two programs side by side, uh, from a money standpoint, Texas A&M probably yeah. has more money than any program in the country. Um, sure. But it, it doesn't it doesn't mean you're going to be successful. And for whatever reason, no. A&M can't put it together down there. I I don't know if Jimbo's the guy. You know, he attacks players on the sideline. He, he uh, his <laughs> name is Jimbo. I just, I just don't like the guy. Like something, something about There's a lot him. going on there. There's a lot yeah. down there. From the state I of just, West Virginia. Maybe it's, maybe it's that whole Florida State stench he's got on him. But I don't know. I don't know. That's I'm funny. definitely, I'm leaning um, towards NC State in this one. Good. Yeah, I like the pick. I'm with you on that one. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, and we, we can explore this on a later podcast, but it mystifies me that Texas A&M hasn't been historically, and I speak in modern history, been better than they have been. That will, given the fan support, given the amount of money that's there, given the fertile recruiting bed that they're smack dab in the middle of, I cannot understand that one. 
Can't can't understand it. Yeah, I've been to a couple of. Uh, I just so we we understand what that noise was. <laughs> I've I've been to a couple Texas A and M games. Uh, I think we could probably save this for another podcast. I got to see Ryan Tannehill go against RG three the year RG three won the Heisman at Baylor. It's awesome. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting place to watch a football game, but I don't want to get sidetracked on that. We'll save that for a later time. Sure. But definitely have a lot of thoughts yeah. on A and M. Have a have have a decent amount of A and M friends as well. My time in Texas, so. Uh, speaking of Texas, we're going to go outside the ACC um, for two games. Uh, two games that kind of stood out to us um, before we get to the college football playoff picks. We've got Georgia and Texas in the Sugar Bowl. My first question for you, Tim, why did Texas get a bid to the Sugar Bowl? I don't know. Um, I've got a team of my best scientists working on this as we speak. Uh, I hope to have an answer for you guys in a week. As of right now, I can't quite figure it out, um, but I think it'll make for a good football game. And, you know, Texas certainly as a program is turning it around under Herman. Um, it'll be happy to see them matched up with Georgia. I think Jake Fromm is just fantastic, especially what he was able to do against Bama. Um, but yeah, Kirby Smart lobbied hard for his team, calling them one of the best four teams in college football. And now he gets time to prove it outside of the SEC. So um, I love to see these SEC teams who stay fairly sheltered during the regular season uh, have to go out and play another, um, you know, powerhouse from another conference. I use powerhouse loosely, historically speaking, a powerhouse from another conference. Yeah, you know, Georgia, Georgia is a team that, you know, I think if you were looking at this as kind of a letdown game, hey, you know, they really wanted to be in the playoff. To me, Kirby Smart gets this team up to play in whatever whatever game they're in, and oh, yeah. yeah, they lost their two they lost their two toughest games on the schedule this year in LSU and Alabama. They lost to LSU by twenty. Okay, it happens. Right. Everybody's got a, a stinker game in there sometime, but they rank thirteenth in total defense. They average allowing three hundred and eleven yards per game. This is a running back factory. I mean, they've got DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holdyfield this year. They just spit out Todd Gurley, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb. Um, Swift and Holdyfield pretty much split the workload. Swift is more of your home run hitter. He's got 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns. Uh, he's also the better receiver out of the backfield. Um, yes. But to me, Jake Fromm, it feels like Jake Fromm is one of those guys who's been there now for 10 years, but he's only a sophomore. He's done so much in his short time except for win that national championship which he was so very close to doing and uh yeah. he's already probably he's probably the first pick in the draft next year after after his junior season uh so you know there was a quarterback controversy coming into this year with Justin Fields to me he's got to wait one more year you know he might be a stud but Fromm is the guy, 68% completion percentage, 27 touchdowns, five oh, picks. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball, they've got the Jim Thorpe Award winner and DeAndre Baker. This guy's a first-team All-American. Last two years, he's got 84 tackles, five picks, three tackles for a loss, 19 pass breakups. He's essentially like Troy Palomalo for this uh, <laughs> for the second period. He's all over the field. Um, he held uh, Jerry Judy of Alabama, who happened to win the Bolitnikoff, 
to three catches for 24 yards in the SEC championship. So to me, Georgia is the clear favorite to win this game. I think they win this game fairly easily. Um, Texas ranks 68th in total D. Uh, I think Sam Sam Ellinger is a is a very good quarterback. He's the best quarterback they've had at Texas since Colt McCoy. Um, he he uh, he'll definitely keep them in this game for a little bit. He's uh, he's a playmaker with his arm and his legs. He actually leads the team in rushing touchdowns. But outside of him, they have a fairly weak rushing attack, um, and I think that's going to really hurt them in this game because they're going to really have to slow it down, control the clock in order to have a chance to win. So I'm going uh, I'm going Georgia in this one. Yeah, and you nailed it. I think it's um, it's one of those games where. I wanted to pick it because I wanted to hear and talk about Jake Fromm a little more. Uh, he's probably my favorite quarterback in college football right now. Um, guy's just absolutely fantastic. And it, to coaches out there, because you know we have Division One Power Five coaches listening to this podcast on a weekly basis. We know that. So I'm going to throw out a little recruiting nugget. I'm going to throw out a little recruiting nugget. From me to you, no cost um, at all. If you want to come on the show, pay me back for this. That's fine. If you have unused scholarships and you are looking for a running back, offer everyone that Georgia offers every year and recruit the heck out of them. <laughs> they are a factory. The level of consistency at which they produce eye-popping running backs blows my mind. How is that fair? They had Herschel Walker. How is that fair? How is any of this fair? Not only do they just have one really good running back all the time, they got like four each year. They can't even get all the good guys on the field all at once. It, that just That's crazy yeah. to me. UGA wins going you, away uh, in this game. <laughs> but those running backs blow my mind. Blow my mind. If you didn't realize this, um, Elijah Holyfield, his dad is Evander Holyfield. Right. Um, I think right. you would immediately immediately recognize that if you looked at a photo. But he, yes. uh, <laughs> I don't think the guy has even like a half ounce of body fat. Like he None. is just shredded out of his mind. His legs <laughs> yes. are enormous. He's he, he looks remember, like how a Vernon Davis looked at Maryland. Do you remember him? Yes. In college, yes, he's a he reminds me of Vernon Davis's body type. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Just more compact. He uh, he reminds me a lot of Emmett Smith from a mm. running back standpoint, except he's just way more cut up than Emmett was. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, yeah Lefield is a I'll specimen take, to say the least, man. I'll take both of those guys in the NFL any day. Just if if there's a running back at Georgia, I don't care if he played three snaps, I'll sign him as an undrafted no. free agent and start him. In the NFL, that's oh, yeah. I mean that's well, you don't know what you're that's getting. where they've been. You don't know what you're getting. They got guys in that bench that are probably better than eighty percent of the schools out there in college football. Just sitting, maybe with only carries and garbage time. It's incredible to me. And, and you think, you know, one leaves, goes to the NFL. You know, you're in the SEC. You're you're just like, thankfully, we don't have to deal with that guy anymore. Oh wait, three more running backs materialize out of thin air. One looks like the second coming of Zeus with, you know, an eight pack and huge biceps and good grief. What do you do with that? And then you get Jake from, I could, I could go all day with UGA. I do think they're one of the top four 
most talented football programs in the nation right now. However, thankfully, that's not how the system works. They had their chance to go to the national championship. They didn't get there. But I'm looking forward to seeing them in the Sugar Bowl, man. It'll be a fun game. Yeah, I think they'll uh I think they'll do well. And uh that takes us to an intriguing matchup, but first I want to touch on the name of this bowl game and it doesn't sit well with me, Tim. Uh the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Now it's no, really not PlayStation's fault. It. It's not PlayStation's no. fault, but don't tease me with a bowl game named after a video game system. When you stole NCAA football from us a decade you. ago, I haven't yes. played a video game since that happened. <laughs> that was the video game I played. I, I haven't it's touched. So I have not touched a video game since NCAA football went extinct. Yeah. You, you want to call this? You have the gall. To call this the Fiesta Bowl. Continue calling it the Fiesta Bowl. Guess what, Sony? It's not a party until you bring NCAA back. Then we can talk. Until then, you have no right sponsoring a college football bowl game. Until you do something about the glaring problem in the video game industry. It's not violent video games. It's not kids getting a hold of games they shouldn't be playing. It's the fact that there is no way for me to take Rice to the national championship in year one. That's the glaring problem with today's video game industry. Yeah, I was a San Jose State guy. I always went with them. <laughs> Dynasty. Man, that's a, those are two really, <laughs> really hard programs to bring back. At least hey, with San Jose State and uh, Rice, those were two good choices. They were one-star programs, and you got to recruit Texas and California. Not bad. But here's, here's where we're at now. And uh, in college sports, we have eSports at colleges now. But we can't have NCAA football in our living rooms. Yeah. 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 You know what? Ridiculous. We need, let's schedule a podcast for us to get absolutely belligerent and let out all of our hard feelings on the subject. Because I could fill up three hours. Hell, I could probably fill up a (laughs) marathon 24-hour podcast for charity if we want to get real, real belligerent. And I have never turned the opportunity to get belligerent down. Never. Just even talking about this, I want to go buy like an Xbox original and just play like NCAA 2010. Yeah, let me tell you what's still in my house. I can never get rid of my 360 because it's the only way that I can play College Hoops 2K8 and that I can play uh, NCAA 14. That's it. Th- those are the only only games that grace uh, that old Xbox. And if it ever breaks, I'm buying a new one because of all of the evil execs at Sony and EA and Microsoft who can't seem to get it together and just team up. And, you know, it's not directly Sony's fault, right? They're not the ones that brought up the lawsuit. However, they have enough sway to fix this, and they choose not to. And then they want to sponsor the Fiesta Bowl like we're going to forget that. Yeah, Yeah. well said. Well said. The the North remembers Sony. Okay, let's jump into the game. This is an interesting matchup. We've got LSU-UCF. And uh, I'm just going to spit some numbers out for you. We've got LSU's 29th total defense going up against the third rated total offense. And then we've got UCF with the 86th total defense going up against the 77th total offense. So I'd say that's a fairly even matchup. Um, you know, if if you were to throw kind of handicap UCF a little bit, 
saying that they probably wouldn't have the third rated offense if they played in a tougher conference. Um, that being said, Ed Ogeron, Coach O, probably my favorite coach in college football right now. He's like your lovable. He's, he's probably like your, your, he's, he's your lovable grandfather, but he can still, you know, beat the hell out of you because the guy can still bench press like 315 pounds. Of course. Do you remember the water boy, Adam Sandler? Remember the water boy? Okay, I know. I don't. Yes. I don't know why I had to phrase it that way, but yes, of course you do. You remember that position coach that no one can understand, but yes, he's just so passionate that everybody loves him. That's Coach O. That's Coach O. He maybe slightly more um, audibly coherent, but that's who Coach O is. And I tell you what, right now, I would I would lay it all on the line for Coach O. I would play my heart out for that guy. That's one passionate guy who loves his school. <laughs> And I love that about him. When uh, Coach O went up to shake Jimbo's hand after uh, the refs gave at Texas A&M that game in the uh, seven overtime victory, I literally thought he was going to punch him right in the face. <laughs> it's going to happen. Looked, it, he happen. looked so pissed after that game because, I mean, <laughs> the amount of calls A&M had go in their favor to win that game was just absolutely appalling. And... You know, Ed had gotten a nice well, little Gatorade bath. down call <laughs> hurts me physically because I can see it in my, my head. Clearly short of the first down. And that was one of, I think, three calls that were just offensive. They were so bad. I don't know how he held it together. And honestly, the repercussions of that game, I'm surprised that everyone has seemingly forgot about that. Nobody made yeah, as big I mean, of a deal as they should about how botched that game was. LSU could have arguably been in the playoff had they not lost that game. Yeah. You could they make a strong been, case. They would have been in the argument at least. I, I still think Oklahoma gets in, but um, that's how big of a deal it was that they lost that game. So uh, getting back to this one, this is their first uh, New Year's Six Bowl since 2013. They were 9-3 and three this year, uh, lost to Alabama, A&M, and uh, – who was the other game they lost to? I'm blanking on that right now. But uh, the X factor for me on their defense is Devin White, the junior linebacker, probably the best linebacker in the country. Leads the team in tackles. He is playing in this game. Uh, he's the quarterback of the defense. The one thing that concerns me a lot with LSU is uh, they're missing their top two corners, who um, one declared for the draft, Bree Williams, and he is not playing. And then Kristen Fulton, just had surgery on his ankle and he's going to miss the game. So you take the back end out of the defense of the defense. That's already kind of, I mean, the defense is good. Don't get me wrong, but to lose your top two corners, that is going to hurt, especially when you're playing an offense that is this high caliber, even without McKenzie Milton, who if, if McKenzie Milton is in this game, it's extremely interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it still is, um, you know, UCF's got some talent. LSU has, they've got athletes everywhere. They just never seem to perform as well as they probably should, given how well they recruit. Um, you know, it, as long as the team that LSU trots out there isn't the team that they played against Florida, they should be fine. Um, I really hope UCF loses. As a matter of fact, I'm picking LSU out of spite for UCF claiming last year's national title for having (laughs) 
the balls so to print that so, everywhere. <laughs> I, you I know, can't. I, 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 it irritates I, uh, me so much. So much. See, I I do think they went overboard with the national championship and the rings and everything like that, but I think it's funny that <laughs> all these Power Five conferences are getting so pissed off about that when really all UCF is doing is trolling the system right now. You've got a school here that has won 25 games in a row and doesn't have a chance to play for a national championship. Like, that doesn't make any sense, okay? The playoff system has to expand, or you have to take a team who's undefeated, and you have to take them seriously and actually consider them to play in the actual playoff. Now, do I think that they would win against two Power 5 schools in a row? No, I don't. Do I think they should probably be in a Power 5 conference now? Yeah, I do. I think they've proven that they're a legit program. They've been legit for a long time. Uh, going back to the Blake Bortles days, like this isn't like an overnight success. They've been here. They're in a big market. They've got a great stadium. They they belong, and they just they're not getting the respect. So I think it's funny when everybody wants LSU to beat you know beat the snot out of UCF, but at the same time it's like I'm pulling for UCF, not because I have anything against LSU. I'm a big Coach O fan. I think this game's going to be super close. Daryl Mack Jr., he had a great game in the AC Championship. He won the MVP. It was his first game starting. He is a dual-threat option. He had four rushing touchdowns in the game, threw for 348 yards. I like him more than I like Joe Burrow of LSU, and I think this guy can make plays with his legs. I think the fact that LSU doesn't have two corners, uh, they're two starting corners, uh, in the defensive backfield, it's going to hurt them. And uh, UCF's kicker is pretty good. And I think this game is going to come down to a field goal. It's uh, Matthew Wright is 5 for 7 from 40 to 49 yards and 6 for 6 from less than that. He's UCF's kicker. UCF wins 38-35 late field goal, and they win their second national title in a row. Woo! I mean... <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to let what you just said slide off my back like water off of a seal. Because let me tell you, if UCF is trolling, it's working. The people are angry. And the people yeah. want LSU they're, to win. We're mad. They're trolling. We're mad. You know why we're mad? Because it was one computer mad. model that literally no one uses because it's a terrible computer model. I get that you wish that you were in the college football playoffs. Unfortunately, that's out of your control because of the way things are set up. And we can argue about how unjust it is. And I hear you and all of your arguments make sense to me. But stop it with the national champion BS, please. And this is when it's yeah. going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Because you miffed, you miffed the SEC with all the trolling. You poked the bear too much. Because the SEC has conference pride for whatever weird reason. I love the ACC, but not like the SEC loves the SEC. The SEC loves the SEC. And let me tell you, that SEC flag and that torch is now being carried by the burly arms of Ed Orgeron. And he's not going to take the fake national champion. He's not going to take them lightly. He's going to come out there and make a point. And that point is, the system as it stands, worked. 
you're not the national champion. You weren't last year. You weren't this year. But we should, so that we should definitely move to eight teams. Just want to go ahead and say that. LSU wins. Yeah. Um, and they win by a couple of touchdowns. Oh, okay. Mc- okay. Mackenzie Milton is just realize- too big of a loss. It's too big of a loss to not have him in this game. I understand what you're saying about the national championship. I don't like that rhetoric either. I know why they're doing it. They're trolling. They're trying to get it expanded so schools like them have a chance. You don't go 25-0 and 0 very often. And to have that happen now when there's no chance they're going to get into the playoff really sucks for them. And so I understand what they're doing from the trolling standpoint. But, yeah, I time time not win the national worse. championship. No. Yeah, yeah, that team wasn't going to beat Bama game. last year. They wouldn't beat Bama this no. year. This year they wouldn't beat probably any team in the top ten, even with Mackenzie Milton. I didn't think that they were as strong as they were last year, obviously. I think everyone probably agrees with that. However, the rhetoric has to stop. The trolling has to stop. And Ed Orgeron is everyone's hero now. He's our white knight going in there. He's going to storm the Bastille. He's going to take down the faux national champions. And we will all celebrate. All right, and so now we are to the college football playoff. Uh, December 29th, these two games are taking place a little bit earlier this year, not on the not on New Year's Eve again, which I think everybody is pretty happy about. That was a pretty stupid day to put these games on. But uh, <laughs> no question, we've got Alabama, Oklahoma, and this is the matchup everybody has wanted to see from a quarterback perspective. Kyler Murray, the Heisman Trophy winner, against Tua Tagovailoa. Um, at least we think, we think he's going to play. He's got the, uh, banged up ankle. He had surgery on it. Um, he's been walking out to all the award shows, but, um, I think he's, I think he'll be all right for this game. I, uh, I pulled a few interesting numbers, them that, that I want to really run through. So, you know, there was a lot of talk around Tua and Murray from a Heisman standpoint, Alabama fans are saying, you know, if, if Tua hadn't or had played in the fourth quarter, his numbers would have been so much better. And that that's really not the case. I did a little deep dive. So if we look at number of snaps played throughout the year, Tua had 575, Murray had 785. Right. If you go a little bit deeper um, and get really into the numbers, the 12 FBS opponents that Tua faced averaged a 58, or average being the 58th ranked pass defense. Oklahoma's 13 FBS foes had a average of 87. And then Oof. before the SEC championship, Tua only attempted three passes in the fourth quarter the entire season. Okay. So That's he went one for five. He goes one for five in the SEC championship um, in the fourth quarter. And I found a breakdown of play by quarter. If you had if Kyler Murray had only played the first three quarters like Tua had, essentially, Tua finished with 36 touchdowns and Kyler finished with 33. So they were very even. Murray actually had more passing yards and he had a higher quarterback rating in the first and uh, second quarters. So mm. I just wanted to dispel those myths out there a little bit. Yes, Tua was going against higher level uh, defensive uh Units on a regular basis, but uh, I don't want to dispel anything that Kyler Murray has done this year. I think the dude is a stud with capital S. 
He gets oh, it yeah. done on the ground. He gets it done through the air. And I think he's going to cause this Alabama defense some problems. Yeah, and that that's where I'm lining up too. Um, man, Tyler is fantastic. The OU offense is so dynamic and so good. Um, it gives you hope. You go in, you're going in your Oklahoma. You see what Jake Fromm did to them in the SEC championship game, going over 300 yards for three touchdowns. You need a game like that from Kyler. You've been getting games like that from Kyler all year. It's got to give you a glimmer of hope seeing a chink maybe in that Alabama secondary, um, in that vaunted Alabama defense saying, Hey, if any team's going to do this, if any team is set up to have success in a similar manner, it's us that don't have quite the same horses in the backfield. Um, but I think they got a quarterback who's more dynamic, obviously, than Jake from in a running aspect. So seeing what an athletic quarterback who can throw it just as good as Jake can, can do to a team like Alabama, who hasn't seen a quarterback, especially not a dual threat quarterback of that quality all year. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, the, the issue with this game obviously is going to be, does OU have enough on defense to steal a couple possessions back from Alabama? Can they force a three and out or two? Can they force a turnover or two to get the ball back into Kyler's hands? Because the only way you're winning is with a couple extra possessions for Kyler. Because if, if they're going to win, it's going to be a shootout. Um, slowing down Jerry Judy and Ruggs, no matter who's throwing to them, is going to be hard. Jerry Judy's an absolute animal. And, and those guys really didn't have a whole bunch of time on the field this year. Um, as you mentioned, and that does hurt individual stats. Um, but I mean, you look at, you know, they have running backs and Najee Harris and, and Damian Harris, who just, you know, they're averaging over six yards a carry explosive. The line is so good, but something about this game keeps pulling me back to Oklahoma. I don't know if it's the mystique of having the Heisman winner on the team, or if it's the fact that their offense has just been so freaking explosive all year. Something is telling me that Alabama is going to get blindsided in this game. They're going to have a hard time handling Kyler Murray. And that was just enough of a quarterback shakeup to cause some issues with Alabama. And whether or not that's going to be Tua coming out and being out of rhythm because of missed time. Or whether it's going to be feeling more pressure mentally, knowing that he's got Jalen breathing down his neck after Jalen's good performance in the SEC championship game. I don't know. But I am going with Oklahoma in this game. You, uh, you stole my thunder because I am too. I, oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> I went Great. back and I, I looked at, uh, I looked at last year's game with Georgia and Oklahoma in the, uh, semifinal. And to me, it's a very similar game that these two teams are going to play, except Kyler Murray brings a different, a different level of play to the quarterback position than Baker Mayfield could. And that's nothing against Mayfield, but Murray is able to extend plays with his legs, unlike any quarterback in college football today that can also sure. burn you with his arm. So yeah. the the way that the way that Oklahoma wins this game is they pump the ball less than twice and they pound Alabama with the run. They've got two very capable running backs with uh, Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. Um, yep. They've basically, there's almost three guys on their team with almost a thousand yards rushing and Murray is third and rushing with 892 yards. So 
That could easily happen in this game. Um, you know, third down efficiency is going to be big and uh, turnovers are going to be big. Oklahoma cannot afford to make any mistakes. But to me, there's something uh, there's something odd going on at Alabama right now. Like, I really did not like the game that Tua played against Georgia. I know the nope. Georgia and Oklahoma defense is not comparable. I don't think uh, Jalen Hurts is going to shock anybody at this point. Um, you know, Oklahoma, they're just, they're not good on defense. I mean, there's just no getting around it. Tua, based off of his previous performances, should have a field day with him. Uh, but he's been banged up. So if he cannot stay healthy or stay on the field consistently, I don't like Jalen Hurts as much as I like Tua in a shootout. That being said, if Jalen Hurts has to play quarterback, he definitely can. But Mm -hmm. the lowest average yards per play in a game that Oklahoma has had this year was 6.9. And the highest Alabama has allowed is 5.7. So even if Oklahoma is somewhere in between that, I mean, there's a good shot that they're still going to be in the game. Um, Sure. I, I think that OU taking Georgia to two overtimes last year uh, in a game that Mayfield didn't play spectacular in, but, you know, he's Baker and he, he's always given his team a shot to win. Um, I just, I think Murray's got to limit the mistakes in this game when they've struggled most is when he turns the ball over. Um, that being said, I like uh, I like Oklahoma to win this game in a very very close matchup, probably one for the ages. I do think Alabama's going to be surprised. Everybody's picking Alabama to win this game, and I just I think Oklahoma uh, is is being overlooked a little bit here. I mean, it's a team that only lost once. They avenged that loss in the Big Twelve Championship against Texas, mm-hmm. and. They're they're in every single game they play in because of Kyler Murray. And to me, he's the best player in the country. He's the most dynamic. I'm going to go with Murray and the Sooners to to win and go on to the national championship. Right. And, you know, I think you said it on last week's podcast. I think you compared Kyler Murray to Vince Young. Um, and rarely do you see this combination of athleticism in an arm that is as lethal as his is. It's just generational, and I think OU is going to win. It's going to be a tight game regardless of what happens. This is going to be must-watch TV. This game is going to be incredible. Um, It's got all the makings of a high-scoring, just two teams hitting each other as hard as they can hit each other, passions running high. Just as you said, something feels off with Alabama. And it's happened twice now in big games where they were able to bring in a backup quarterback who was able to win them the game because of the starter either struggling or being injured. And that's catching lightning in a bottle now twice. I'm not sure they can do it a third time, but we'll see. We'll see. Going o- OU with you, obviously, and um, can't wait for this game. Uh, so the other game that day, and this is our final game of the bowl preview. Uh, hopefully you're still with us. It is Clemson, Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, Clemson is an 11.5 point favorite. Um, I think Notre Dame is also being overlooked in this game a little bit, to be honest. I like Ian Book right now more than I like Trevor Lawrence. 
I think mm. I'm I'm not as high on Trevor Lawrence from his play this year as everybody else seems to be. He's he's played well for a freshman, but he's also had some games where, you know, if Clemson is at Clemson, I I don't think he's doing enough to win. And I, I think the game against Pitt in the ACC championship was one of those games. He was 50% yeah. completion percentage. Yeah. Um, he's got a lot of talent around him, which I think kind of hides some of his younger inabilities. It's Again, it's no knock on Trevor Lawrence. I think he's a young quarterback. I think he's very good. But to me, Ian Book is a, is a leader um, that Notre Dame needs. He's very efficient. Uh, he can make some plays with his legs. Um, he has been mistake prone at times, but for the most part, he does a pretty good job of, of holding onto the football. Um, Notre Dame does rank 28th in total offense. They're 21st in total defense. Uh, Clemson is top 10 in both categories. So the game is fairly close on paper. Um, to me, Notre Dame season really turned around when they benched Wimbush and, uh, yes. they did not look good when Wimbush was playing. And then Book comes in, he completes 70% of his passes. And, uh, you know, their worst game of the year was his worst game of the year was against Pitt. He had two picks. Uh, they had big wins against Syracuse, although Dungey got hurt in the first quarter, uh, at Northwestern. They beat Michigan. Uh, outside of that, their schedule wasn't too difficult. Um, they went undefeated. They deserve to be here. Uh, they've got a good running back in Dexter Williams, who was suspended the first four games of the year, but still almost has a thousand yards rushing. And, uh, Notre Dame could definitely beat Clemson. Um, sure. I don't yeah, think they absolutely. will. I don't think they will, but um, there's a good shot. And I mean, they've got great players on each side of the ball. I think Julian Love um, is the X factor on their defense. He's uh, he's kind of a Troy Polamalu type. He flies around the field. He's a ball hawk. Uh, so watch out for him. And um, Jerry Tillery on the defensive line as well has got seven sacks, but when you think defensive line, Clemson has the clear advantage in this game. Um, and to me, they have an advantage everywhere on the field, except for at quarterback. And it's very close. Um, yeah. But that's why I'm going Clemson. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, it, it's hard to see Notre Dame winning. They certainly can win. It's not one of those that I think is so lopsided that it's ludicrous to even consider them winning, like I would a Stanford Pitt. Um, Book has been incredibly efficient, especially from a completion percentage standpoint. It's a very quarterback-friendly offense there at Notre Dame. Um, you know, they give you a lot of help with the ground game. Uh, they do have playmakers, um, although they don't seem quite as dynamic in that offense that they run as some other ones. Um, they do have some playmakers out on the edge. Uh, you know, what I see here is, is as you said, I do think Book and Lawrence is a toss-up. I'm not sure I could pick one or the other at the moment. The wild card for me is Etienne is just so explosive. He's so good. Um, I think he's going to be the difference in this game. The issue you mentioned and you bring up, I thought was a pretty good one. And that's that Trevor Lawrence hasn't had to pull Clemson across the finish line himself yet. And I don't know if he has that, that in him at this point. Um, what happens if Etienne does get slowed down? What happens if there's an injury to him? What happens if the big plays aren't there and you need to consistently hit the short stuff um, to drag your team across the finish line? I don't know if he has it, and I could see that happening against a team as balanced as Notre Dame is. Um, 
they're they're similar in the regard they're both such balanced teams. They're both strong on the line. Although Clemson, like you said, is just better than Notre Dame is in all those positions, except maybe quarterback. Um, again, I think Cleland Farrell, uh, Christian Wilkins, and um, was it Dexter Lawrence? Sorry, I'm trying to think of the guy's name um, are going to be too much on the defensive line, and they're far too athletic. And um, I think they're going to cause Notre Dame's offensive line problems. But we'll see. Uh, Notre Dame does have a pretty good offensive line, and. Um, Book has been playing some some good football and some football that's kept Notre Dame in every game they've played. As you mentioned, when they benched Wimbush, they were just terrible, eking out wins against you know Ball State and Vanderbilt. Um, really didn't play too well against USC later in the season and Pitt, as you mentioned. But Book has been a huge improvement for them. It's going to be a fun game to watch. It's always cool to see Notre Dame in these big spots. I know people might get frustrated with them. Um, you know, think that they're overrated more times than not. And while that may be the case, uh, there is something cool about seeing Notre Dame in the spotlight against a program like, you know, recently as good as Clemson's been. So I'm excited. Clemson takes this one, I think, by a touchdown or two. Um, but we'll see. We'll see, man. That's that's why they play the games. That's why bowl season is awesome. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think we could get some really cool uh, fireworks out of this game, too. Um, and, and watching two balanced teams go at it is always fun. So, yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward to it. I think, uh, I think this game will be tight. And, uh, you know, one of the stats that I saw that I thought was interesting was uh, fourth quarter play by the quarterbacks. And so Lawrence in the fourth quarter this year, he's completing 54% of his passes, three touchdowns, two picks. Whereas Ian Book is completing 83% of his passes with seven touchdowns and two interceptions. So if this game is close in the fourth quarter and they're relying on that quarterback play to kind of pull them through, that could be uh, that could be something to watch. Um, <clears throat> watch for Clemson. So. That's a great stat uh, line that you just brought up there. That that kind of shows what I think you thought you've seen from Trevor Lawrence this year. Um, but book over eighty percent that is absolutely lights out. That's incredible. Yeah, so like I said, I think uh, this game is much closer than the spread indicates. Um, I've got Clemson thirty twenty four, but I would not be not be shocked if uh, if Notre Dame won. So that pretty much wraps up our bowl preview. So Tim, let's uh, let's quickly run through and recap who we've got, and uh, let's see where we stand. So in the Birmingham Bowl, you have got we've both got Memphis. Uh, we're different at the first responder bowl. I've got Boise and BC. Uh, we both got Georgia Tech. I've got Temple and Duke. Both got Wisconsin, Syracuse, South Carolina, Clemson, OU, uh, Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, Stanford, Georgia. So we're different on four games. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. that is, uh, that's going to be the difference for us. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see who's buying the t-shirts. Yeah, but, uh, nice t-shirt. You know, we're going to have some, maybe some under armor. We gotta, we gotta keep the brand sharp, you know, in, in our, our, our debut t-shirt, it's got to have some substance to it and a little flair. So since you're going to be buying that, I just want to be sure that, that you kind of get what I'm thinking as far as that goes. Uh, listen, Tim, when, when you buy the shirts, um, make sure that the lettering stays better than the, uh, Ham Jimsky's lettering that we have in uh, college. I am so glad you mentioned that because that lettering was terrible. Terrible. 
It was, but I've I've still got that shirt. So yeah, same. Uh, and we, you uh, know, hopefully, hopefully the next one lasts as long, at least from a uh, fabric standpoint. The lettering, we'll work on that. Uh, so we are Chowder and Grits. We will be back next week, uh, recapping some of news and notes around the ACC. Uh, we're gonna dive into. Uh, bowl gifts, and we're also gonna take a look at some of the games that were that are gonna be played this weekend. So bowl season kicks off this weekend. It's a great time of year. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, again, follow us chowderandgrits.com. Like us on Facebook. Tweet at us. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. We're here for you. Communicate with us. Go speak on the forums. Tim, this was fun. This was a super long podcast, but uh, I think we had a lot of good content here. Yeah, there's no season like bowl season, man. Uh, And with that, I think we just close it out with a go ACC, and we'll see you next week.